Good morning. It's a great blessing to be with you this morning and worship together. What a sweet, sweet time. How blessed we are. Let's stand together. I never felt so old in my life as watching that video. Jump up, jump up, you know. All, all kinds of, I have just been content with saying let's stand and turn on our Bibles. There's all kinds of ways to do that, I'm, but they're not quite me. Let's, uh, let's turn on our Bibles to 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2. We'll look at two verses this morning and, and what we're going to be looking at. I was a little distracted early on in the worship. I mean, as soon as we hit the words, it, I was okay. But because my vehicle's parked over by that big bus out there, I was just wondering whether they're going to move it or not uh, anymore before I get out of here. <laughs> Second Timothy chapter two, verse six: The hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. Consider what I say. And may the Lord give you understanding in all things. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for our Savior. Thank you for the tremendous price that both you and he were willing to bear. For us to be forgiven and to be saved and changed and on our way to heaven and have the privilege of being able to serve you. And we ask that by your Holy Spirit you would help us to hear your whispers today. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. If we're talking about matters of the heart or this kind of thing, I've had a zillion ups and downs in, in the course of, of serving the Lord, a zillion uh, discouragements and a zillion uh, encouragements. But there's one particular uh, issue that I hit early on in, in my uh, service to the Lord that is kind of an odd kind of a thing, but it but it, it hit me and it really presented quite a struggle to me. And this morning I want to address that along with several other things in the context of this passage because the passage brings it out a little bit, but it also uh, helps us gain perspective if there are any of us uh, in the room that are uh, uniquely uh, afflicted this morning. Now, in this passage, the Apostle Paul likens the ministry to farming, and that was an image that was very familiar to everyone in that day. It was an agrarian society. Everyone lived very, very close to the earth. A little harder if you're raised in an urban environment or you're raised in a suburban environment to, you know, understand fully what Paul was representing as he's uh, likening the ministry to to farming, but he's declaring that there's a sense in which every minister is a farmer, and he uses that imagery continually through the scriptures. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave gave the increase. And so, in likening this uh, the ministry to farming, the apostle Paul is communicating a great deal, and as I said, a great deal more than most of us. Understand. Now notice the first thing, and if you're a note taker, that this will be number one, and there'll be a, several of these. I won't tell you how many, because then you'll be wondering how far along is he uh, on all of this. But notice first that the far, like the farmer, the minister must be hardworking. And um, there are some who look at this passage and they say that supremely it teaches that the minister is to be uh, supported in the ministry by the fruits of the ministry. And and I suppose there's an element of that in there, but 
In the original, it, it's, it's this way. Literally, the passage reads this way. The labor husbandman must be four of the fruits partaking. In other words, the first in the verse is associated with hard work and not as it is in the New King James associated with the partaking of the crops. In other words, what Paul is saying here is the farmer must first work hard in order to partake of the crops. In other words, there is no crop without hard work, whether in farming uh, or in ministry. Now, where I come from is Modesto, California, and it is a very agricultural area. It is the Big Valley. Other people live in valleys that have, you know, a little more uh, razzmatazz to them and that kind of thing. They're a little more elite and stuff. But when you live in the Central Valley, you you're not threatened by any of that. You live in the Big Valley. But there are a lot of farmers there. And there's a lot of farmers that attend our fellowship. And some time ago, I sat down with three of them separate from one another and I began to ask them some questions about farming in, in an attempt to get some insight into what it was that Paul was saying uh, in, in this passage. And they're, they're very experienced farmers, very, very successful farmers, uh, long-term farmers. They had seen a lot of um, people come and go in farming. They'd been around successful farmers and unsuccessful farmers, and, and they'd seen them succeed. They'd seen them fail in all of these. And I asked them a simple question. I said, what are the differences between a good farmer and a bad farmer, between a successful farmer and, and a uh, uh, unsuccessful farmer? And I made the question deliberately general so that I wouldn't focus it toward the answers that, that I might have wanted or I thought, you know, Paul might be communicating here. And it was, it was interesting to me is that because I wanted to see if there was just one single answer that would rise above all of, of the rest of them in their response. And to a man... Each one of them immediately emphasized that you cannot be lazy and, and survive as a farmer. Those two things simply don't go together. A lazy man has absolutely no future in farming. And so they confirm what Paul was saying here, and that is that farming is hard work, and like the farmer, the minister must be hardworking. Now, that, that phrase, hardworking, means to labor to the point of weariness. It means literally to labor to the point of exhaustion. And the Lord's work requires uh, some effort in our lives, doesn't it? it requires, I don't know if you're uh, exhausted half the time, uh, but uh, it seems to be a characteristic for, for me anyway. And, and, and so there is that, that kind of effort that that it requires in order to do it well. I don't know people, how many jokes you get and that kind of thing, but sometimes people literally, sometimes they're not jokes, they don't know any better. They come up and they, at, they have asked me what I do the other six days of the week. As if I, you know, I'm golfing six days of the week. I mean, they don't have any idea that there's anything beyond, you know, the kind of the pulpit ministry and, and you, this stuff just gets put together in five minutes before the service and, 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 and off, off you, you go. But if, you're hardworking and you're fairly exhausted a good part of the time. It would seem that the Apostle Paul is telling us that we're on on course here. And there's no substitute for hard work. I like what Michelangelo said concerning this. He said, if people knew how hard I work to get my mastery, I wouldn't seem so wonderful after all or such a genius after all. 
And, uh, and that's the truth. There's a lot of hard work that goes into what we're doing. Occasionally, through the years, I've been approached by, um, uh, you know, typically it's a younger person. And uh, the guy will come up to me, always a guy, and he'll come up to me and he'll say something like this. I've, I've been fired from my last three jobs, and I think it's God's way of telling me he's calling me into the ministry. And uh, I, I am looking for an exit out of that room like you can't believe. And I just want to turn from him and run like my hair is on fire to get away from this guy. Because if, if, if I'm going to get fired because of laziness or lack of diligence on, in a secular job, I'm never going to make it in, in the service that God calls us to. Now, I, I know that most of us here today don't need an exhortation uh, to, to work hard. But I think it's a good r- reminder to keep us from self-pity if we are working hard and, and to be reminded that this is, this is what it takes. This is, we're, we're on the right course and, and we're doing what's good and we're doing what's right when, when there's a lot of hard work that's involved it, uh, in things. So my, my farming friends, they confirm Paul's assessment that a farmer must be hardworking or he has no future in farming and, and that a minister must also be hardworking or he or she has no future in, in ministry. Now let me share a couple of other observations that they gave in their answers, uh, these experienced, successful farmers. You know what the second answer that they said was a key to being successful in farmer? They said the farmer not only has to be hardworking, but he has to be patient. He has to be patient. He has to learn to take the long view of things he has to commit to farming for the long haul. And, and like the farmer, the minister has to learn to be patient. And he has to learn to take uh, the long view of things. And he must commit to farming for the long haul. Here's what one of them said. He said, a farmer must be patient. There isn't anything, any such thing as instant results. You don't see the effect of the work you do today, today you see the effect much further down the road. And that right there was one of the biggest transitions I had to go through in, in being a pastor. And I don't know if I'm weird or not, but that was a really hard thing for me and a, and a hurdle for me, that you would work all day and all night and work with all of your might, and at the end of the day, there was nothing physical to show for it. You couldn't see that your life had made a change in the world at all as a result of, of the labor that, that you had done. When I, I, when I worked for the phone company, and when I worked for the phone company for a number of years, I worked as a lineman and then a number of years as a cable splicer. And, and at the end of a good hard day's work, uh, there was something to show for it physically. Uh, the world was different by virtue of the fact that I had lived that day and had worked hard that day. There was telephone cable up in the air, or there were poles in the ground that had never been in the ground before, or cables that had been spliced together that had never been spliced together. There was something to show from my existence. I could walk away and say, that's what my I did today, that's what my life accomplished right there in, in that in that physical thing. And as a pastor, at the end of the day, there was nothing to show for my hard work. I thought that was useless related to all of that. And, and one of the things that I desperately needed to learn was that in the ministry, very often 
There's a long lapse of time between when the work is done and then the appearance of fruit. And I'm not a terribly patient person. I'm much more patient than I have ever been in my life. But I, I thought things were going to, you just see it just like this. You do it and then and, and instantly you're going to see, see an effect. And I had to learn that it wasn't enough to be hardworking alone to be successful as a farmer, as a minister. But that I also had to learn to be patient if I was going to survive in what God had called me to. And, and that in what God had called me to and he's called us into, we work today, but like the farmer, it can be months, it can be years before we start to see the fruit of, of that hard work. And, and that's why I think a person has to be very, very careful in the early years of, of their ministry and of their service uh, to the Lord. Because in those early years, it takes time for all of that sowing, all of that sowing of the seed of the word to start to look like something. Uh, uh, the first two years uh, while I was pastoring in Modesto, those two years were harder than I can put into words. I mean, they were absolutely crushing those two years and, and nobody knew it but the Lord and I fully second would be would be my wife and that first foggy miserable damp winter in Modesto I would I would put on my layer on these jackets and things and uh, late in the afternoon I would just go and walk and walk and walk for miles and miles and miles each evening and and just talking with the Lord about this terrible mistake that, you know, he has made. And I literally, I begged him, I, Lord, please, I've done a crazy thing with my family and, and all. If you'll just let me move back to Napa and if you'll just give me my job with the phone company back and all, I'll go back there. I'll, I'll, I'll. Serve in a nice little church. You'll never hear a peep from me again about being a pastor. Never again. And it was so discouraging. And because there, there wasn't much fruit. No harvest book kind of stuff happening there. And, and I, I had no idea how little I knew about everything, in, including the Bible. Now, I knew before I went in that I didn't know much. But I didn't know that I didn't know that much heading into things. And it was a big, big revelation. And, and so all this stuff is, is swimming. And, and the sense of inadequacy was, was overwhelming. Just, I, I, what am I doing here? I can't do this. I can't even bluff it. You know, I can, I can do this. And it was overwhelming. And I'm, I'm just as conscious of my inadequacy today. I'm just much more accepting of it. And, and the realization that it's intended to be that way. But you know, it's one thing to, to know that in the Bible. It's another thing to have that worked you know, into, into the deep part of, of our lives. And, and the one thing that kept me from quitting, beside God's grace and, and his encouragement, and he's such a gracious God, and he's such an encourager, he just keep, keeps you going, keeps you going. There's no other explanation. But one of the things that kept me from, from quitting is that I knew that if, if I quit, it would have been pure disobedience to God. So I couldn't do it. And it's not because, you know, it's a big noble guy, you know, well, you know, I can't, God says, you know, big strong guy and everything like that. I knew 
that as hard as God's will can sometimes be, there's something harder, and that's being outside of his will. So if I was having a tough time handling his will at the moment, I knew I was in no shape to take on something harder, and that was to head out into my own will. And so God just gave me the grace just to stay put in, in, in that place. And I think during the early years, we need to learn to view what we're learning as a valuable thing. And as one of the most valuable things that is happening in that season within, within our ministries. There may not be a lot to show for, you know, what it is that, that we're doing and all of the hard work and, and all, but uh, if you're learning things, uh, then you're going to be a better minister and a better farmer for the rest of your life. There's a, like somebody came to Spurgeon or one of those kind of guys after a sermon and they asked him and they said, you know, how long did it take you to put that sermon together? And he said, 26 years. <laughs> and that's, what, that's how it goes. But you've got to have the 26 years or the six months or the two years to have that. It's, but it's all, it's all working. There's nothing being wasted. We just can't see anything for, for the moment. Now, um, so... If you're learning in the ministry, then there is something happening in your ministry. And I wish there was an easier way to get experience than getting experience. But it's the only way to get experience, is is to do what it is that that we're doing. And the calling is everything. If God calls us, he's going to add all the grace that he needs to the calling in order to to make our lives fruitful in what what he calls us to do. He knew what he was getting when he called us. He knew he was getting a project, a great project. And uh, and he knew all the, the grace that he was going to have to add to our lives to make our lives fruitful. And he's got it. And he's got it. So the calling is everything. And then, then the other things will take take care of themselves. Now, every farmer has to take the long view of things. And he can't get... Uh, too high or he can't get too low over, you know, every weather report or every bit of news that comes his way. And uh, as, as the two of the farmers said, there are some guys that get they get all wiped out by every bit of news. They'll never last. They cannot be people who let today wipe them out. And so like the farmer, we can't be wiped out by every weather report that comes you know, down the pike here. Who's saying this and what's this and all these things that are changing every single day? Can't we again got to take a longer view of things than than letting that stuff uh, wipe us out. And in the ministry, in the ministry, some of us can have a tendency toward high highs and low lows. That's just the way that it is. And I think you artistic types are the more dangerous in in, in all of this. And so crises get blown up into this gigantic thing. It's the end of the world. It'll, you know, be the death of me. And 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 the crisis of the moment can cause us to lose sight of of the big picture. Now, sometimes in secular counseling, even where someone will come in and maybe it is a big crisis that's going on in their life, and they they sit down and a counselor might say to a person, "Well, how do you think you'll see this in uh, five years? How do you think you'll see this in ten years?" And that person, so all they can see is five minutes in front of their eyes, and they've never. And, and, and when, it, when the counsel asks them that question, introduces two things. Number one, it introduces hope that they're going to survive the current situation, 
And the second thing is, it starts to put it into perspective. And they realize, you know, five years from now and ten years from now, if I survive it, and God will cause me to survive it, this isn't going to be that big of a deal. And so the perspective that's needed with taking the long uh, view on, on things. And yeah, it, it, you know, in 10 years it won't seem so devastating that I lost 40% of my crop this year. And sometimes that happens in farming and sometimes it happens in ministry. Now, number three, there's only 72 more. Don't worry about it. Number three, the farmer not only has to be hardworking, he not only has to be patient, but he also has to have perseverance. And like the farmer, the minister has to have part perseverance. And one of the characteristics of a successful farmer is that they just keep going. They just keep farming no matter what. Here's what one of those farmers said. He said, they stick with it. They don't get discouraged easily. Even in difficulty, they see it through. They don't quit persistence, just staying with it. Here's what the other uh, uh, second of the three said. He said, farmers don't have to be the most talented or the most brilliant people in the world. But they do have to have perseverance. They have to keep going and giving uh, with no thought to quitting. And that's the truth of the matter. You just hands on the plow and move forward. You remember what Spurgeon said? He said, by perseverance, uh, the snail reached the ark. Right? Right? Okay. Listen. So he has to have perseverance. Number four, the farmer, and, and like the farmer, the minister must accept that there are seasons. That's not easy for us. I want it to be always harvest. You look at it, the church hasn't grown, you know, in six months or something, or in three months, or the youth group hasn't this, or, and, and, and always want it to be harvest like that. But that's not the way farming is. It's not the way the ministry is. And so you have to accept that there are seasons. It's a life. The ministry life is a life that has seasons. And a farmer has to accept that, or he's, he's not going to have any longevity or fruitfulness in farming. And, and ministers have to accept the same thing, that there are seasons to what God has, has called us to. And if we don't learn to accept that, then we're not going to have any longevity in what God has called us to. So farmers understand there, there are periods of harvest, and then there are periods of dormancy, where the, fruit, the tree isn't growing outward at the moment. But it, it, what it's doing is all of the life is going inward for a time to come back out in a greater measure. And that is a reality about farming. And that is a reality about ministry. And we must accept that there are seasons. Number four, like the farmer, the minister must accept that there can be bad years for reasons that are completely outside of your control. But you can't quit. On that year. And not only can you not quit, but you have to work as hard during that year as any other year. And that's one of the things that happens with, with farming. And I asked, I asked the farmers, I said, what's the, hard, what, what's the hardest things about farming? And, and one of them said this. He said, when you are in a bad crop situation, for instance, you get an early freeze, half your crops are already wiped out. Or you get a, a rain or a cold spell when the bees are supposed to be out pollinating the almonds and you miss that window and you already know your crop's going to be half what it would, would normally be. So he said, when you're in a bad crop situation and you must, for the rest of the year, do all the work 
that you would have done for a full crop as if it would be a 100% crop. And he said, you have to do it for the sake of the following year. You can't say, well, I lost half the crop. I won't prune this year. Or I won't spray this year. Or I won't till this year. have to do all the same amount of work, even though it's going to be, be less less of, of, of a crop. And that's the way that it is in the ministry too. And I think it's, it's good counsel to continue to do the work anyway as if it were a 100% crop. The same faithfulness is required. No matter how big the crop is, that God lets us, lets us harvest. So whether it's three people that, that come to that uh, youth Bible study or whether it's a hundred people that come to that youth Bible study, we're to give it the same effort because a farmer has to give it the same effort too because it's not just about that night it's not just about that season but we're looking at the rest of the season and even the year that follows number six a farmer has to learn to accept the fact that things are never going to be perfect there are always going to be things that require attention require attention that's the way that it is in ministry i'm a perfectionist I walk into a room or I walk into any situation. I, I, I loved being a deacon when I was a deacon in uh, Tim's father's church. And, uh, but I love to walk in as this and this and all that in, in a perfection. But, it, but the, the farming is a living thing. Ministry is a living thing. And if I'm only going to enjoy ministry when everything is perfect, then I'm just going to enjoy ministry in these very narrow flash <laughs> times. Because things are rarely all perfect all at once. And the perfectionist must accept this. And I think one of the keys to longevity in the ministry is to set my focus on all of the good things that are happening in ministry too. And not just the things that aren't quite perfect yet. Perfectionist comes in. That's all we see. That's not perfect. That's not, this isn't that. You can, here's, look, you got the glory of this room here. This is beautiful, isn't it? What's that tennis ball doing up there? Did you notice that tennis ball up there? Drives me crazy. What is that tennis ball doing up there on the thing? I know I saw that one too. You did too. God bless you. It's a curse. He needs to bless you for having. But I mean, but in the ministry, it's the same kind of way where you know these and we miss. And I and I, there came a point in my service to the Lord where I had to cut myself off. Not completely, but to a large degree, from the people that were always, always what's wrong, or the newsletters, always what's wrong with the body of Christ, or who this person isn't doing this right, and, and have you heard in this? And, and you can get so focused on this little tiny group that isn't perfect, and, and expect it to be perfect, you lose sight of this huge group that's doing well, and things are going great. You know, there's a there is a statistic, true statistic, that the average senior pastor leaves his church over seven people. So you got 93 people having the time of their life, and he leaves because all he can see is the seven. Or 100, 193 people are having the time of their life, and he'll leave over that seven. And that that's the ability to 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 have that kind of a group take take your focus, and you have to just stop and say, wait a second. I'm going to look at all the good things that are happening here, too, in this ministry, in the fruit. Who's doing well? Whose life is being changed? All of this stuff. 
Keep your focus there on those things, too. If you keep it on the imperfections, then you'll lose perspective and and it can uh, really uh, uh, drive you out. Number seven, like the farmer, the minister must accept that a good deal uh, of the work is obscure and there's no glamour associated uh, with it. And and so, like farmers, most of what we do uh, is, is just hard work that's done quietly and it's done in obscurity. People don't even know that we're doing it. Now, harvest time. Wow. I mean, they got the trucks out there and they're shaking the trees and everything's gone and, and it really looks like something. I mean, Sunday or, you know, Wednesday night or look, you know, and then, but the rest of the week and different things, it, it's a, it's just pretty quiet, hard work that nobody sees. And, and that's, that's, that's good for us. And we just quietly do it day in and day out. I remember one time hearing, a pastor at a pastor's conference, and and uh, he, he he said he was quoting somebody, and he looked up waxing poetic, and he said, he said the trouble with life is that it's it's just just so daily. <laughs> that really, I like that one. That's why I remembered it. But uh, that's the way that it is in the ministry. Is it's it's just so daily, and I think the farmer. And the servant of the Lord must learn to love the daily of the ministry or they're not going to be in it very long. And a lot of what we do isn't that glamorous. Farming is kind of a low thing. People don't walk around with badges, you know. I'm a farmer kind of thing. They do where I live, but anyway, that's a different kind of thing. I remember one time I had a buddy. We were on the line crew together, a phone company. We are putting cable up someplace out in a rural kind of setting or a CR wire, some kind of a deal, and and uh, and all, and, and a guy came out of his house and everything, and and he's he's talking with us, and all my friends said, "Hey, it's a pretty nice farm you have," and the guy said, "This is not a farm, this is a ranch, and I am not a farmer, I am a rancher." We learn right there at that moment that ranchers think they're better than farmers. At least he did, you know. The farmer, in his eyes, farmers, that's a, that's a lower life that they live than what ranchers do here. And, that, and that's the way that it is with farming. It's, it's kind of a, 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 low, a low kind of, of thing. Just a lot of non-glamorous work in, in, uh, out in those fields and all. And that's what, that's what serving the Lord is. A lot of non-glamorous work and quiet, non-glamorous places, but it's needed just like a farmer's work is needed, got to have that food, the work that we do is needed too. Now, number eight, like the farmer, the minister must stay attentive to his field or to his crop. As one of the farmers said, he has to be out in his field every day. He's got to go out and look for pests and look for disease uh, and, and uh, the different things that come in, can come into uh, an orchard and those, those kinds of things. One of them said... They are always on top of the condition of their fields, talking about good farmers, always on top, staying on top of the condition of their fields and trees so that everything doesn't get old at once. They can't have their orchard all get old at the same time. So there's this constant assessing going on. Don't you, when you visit another church other than yours, and you go in wherever it is they're doing what you do and all, don't you assess it? Say, wow, they're doing that better than we do it. And all this, and there's that assessment. But also looking at the group that we minister to. We're watching, we're assessing it, we're making sure that, that everything is, is, is looking good. And, and, and it's important. As one of the farmers said, absentee farmers 
don't do very well. And I don't think absentee pastors do very well, too. Uh, we need to stay focused on uh, that, that field that God has called us to, not to be drawn to all of these other things. Number nine, like the farmer, the minister must be teachable and he, he must also be constantly learning. And, that, and that's what they said. This, this farming, there's, there's a vast amount of knowledge that he needs to have. He needs to know his soil types. He needs to know his tree types or his crop types. He needs to know how, when to plant, how to plant. He needs to know when to prune, how to prune, all the different uh, kind of trees. And so he must always be learning, must always be improving as a farmer. And then they said, not only do they need to always be learning and improving in what it is that they're called to do, and a minister ought to be learning all the time and, and improving. Just because God chooses the foolish and the weak and all, they say, well, you know, I'm going to stay there. We ought to be growing in this. But then when we face what we don't know what to do, what does a farmer do? He goes and he finds a more experienced farmer, and he learns from them. How to do what it is. There's a funny thing about farmers is, is it's a community. So it's, it's like uh, pastors and ministers. They, they really will look out for one another and they'll share what they know. And, and, and so when I face what I don't know to do in a situation or something I've never faced before, there needs to be the humility to go and to get the help that we need. And so farmers, ministers, we're not too proud to learn from more experienced farmers and ministers and even to receive their rebuke when they bring it our way. Number 10, like the farmer, the minister must know how to treat people. Uh, he has to treat people with respect. One of the farmers said this. He said, morale is good when a person genuinely cares about people. People will work harder for you if you respect them and are kind to them. And I think that's good for us uh, to hear and with, with our, the, the people that we work with. You can be the greatest farmer in the whole world, but if no one can work with you, you can't get that crop in. And you can be the greatest Bible teacher or the greatest preacher in the whole world, but if nobody can work with you, you can't get that crop in. You have to learn how to work with other people and, and treat them uh, well and give them the tools that they need to be successful and the training that they need to be successful, which is what your church has done in, in sending you here this week. And then number 11, like the farmer, the minister needs to sow good seed. You can't have a good crop without good seed. And I just want to say one point related to that. Believe in the power of the word of God. Believe in that seed. God will do whatever He has to do to say yea and amen to what we preach when we preach it from the Word of God. Believe in the seed. Don't get moved from that seed to these other things. Everybody else in the whole world has the same message. We're the only one that says something different. Speak the Word. Sow that seed. The most miserable thing I think would be in life would be to come to the end of my three score and ten or however many the years the Lord gives me and I'm lying on that hospital bed and they got that sheet up to my neck and my life is spent and I know I'm going to head into eternity and to, and to sit there and say, I wish I had taught the pure Word of God instead of getting into all of this other kind of stuff. 
I could live with any other regret in life, but I never want to face that regret. I want to sow the seed and look and say, God, I gave you every chance I could possibly know to give you to do what you wanted to do. And what you do, that's your business. But I want to, I want to give you that opportunity to do that. And so you have to sow the, the good seed. Then number 12, like the farmer, the minister must keep a watch on his personal life. To fail to give attention to their personal lives is a greater danger to the farmer than the weather. Listen to this that one of those farmers said. People think that farming is such a gamble with the weather and all. But it isn't the weather and other things out of his control that kills the farmer. It's the things he can control. He said, and this is a generational farmer, generation after generation after generation. He said, I've never known one farmer to lose his farm due to weather. But I've known many of them to lose their farms because of their personal lives, because of divorce, drinking, drug use. And, and a farmer has to make sure that his personal life is stable. And, and that is really a good word for ministers. It's the same with us, isn't it? You can stop in a room like this and, and you just stop and you think about pastors who are no longer farming or pastoring or anyone kind of serving the Lord. It is the rare pastor that is knocked out by things outside of his control. But so many of us are prone to lose the farm because of what we do have control over. The personal life, apart from the ministry, is critical. And then, next to finally, that's to give you hope. Number 13, like the farmer, the minister has to keep his eyes upon the blessings of his life as a farmer. And that's what a minister has to do. There are blessings in this life that we must never allow our eyes to be taken off of them in in the midst of the difficulties that we find ourselves in. I asked them, I said, uh, what do you love about farming? And to a man they said "We we that we get to spend our life doing what we love to do. Here's what one of them said. He said, it's a good way of life. And if it's in your blood, you love it. Others may be making more money, but you're getting to do what you love to do. Now, that's a very valuable thing in life. When I left, where I left to go to start this church, people thought I was crazy on things because of the security, financial and otherwise, that I had in life and, and all of that. But nothing could compare to having a shot at doing what I love to do. That is a treasure. There are people that amass all kinds of money in life, but they will never know a minute's joy of doing what what they really love to do in the way that that we get to. And and that's a valuable, valuable thing. Other farmers, they said, as you think about the blessings, other farmers, they said, that's one of the blessings, just that sense of community that we have with other farmers. And, and, And we have... Uh, that the blessing of what we do, that communion that we have with one another in the same calling. And, and that's a treasured thing. And I think that I would add to that that is, is the blessings of this life is, is the blessing of what the Lord is making us into as, as we 
serve him. Uh, one man put it this way. He said, the greatest reward for a man's toil is not what he gets for it, but what he becomes by it. And that is the truth. Not only we get to do this, but the people that God is changing us into while we do it. And here, finally, number 14. I don't know if that has any kind of biblical. Num- I'm not a big number guy. Well, it's two sevens. Anyway, we'll leave. I don't mean to distract you with all of that on things. But then it's, it's a ten and a four. So that could be a bad thing. So I don't know. Anyway, here's the final one here. The, the, the farmer, and this is, this is back to what Paul is saying here too, is the farmer works with a confidence that, that their hard work will pay off. There's a harvest at the end of all this hard work. And a minister has to have that same confidence. Yeah, there's a lot of hard work, there's a lot involved here, but I must never lose sight of the fact that there is a harvest and a reward at the end of all of this hard work. And we need to have that confidence uh, in our lives as, as, we, as we serve the Lord. The farmer never loses sight of the harvest, never loses sight of the harvest. And we have to be careful that we don't lose sight of it either. May I remind you and myself this morning that beyond your labor, there is a coming reward. You stay patient. You keep working. Keep gaining that experience that is so valuable, but only God and, and even you don't know how valuable the experience is right now. Stay patient. Keep working. Your hard work pays off. There is a reward at the end of all of this. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. What a way we get to spend our life. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege. Thank you. And I pray that you use this time in your word to protect your calling, to encourage, Lord, that those that need encouragement today, to exhort and stretch those of us who need that too, Lord. But keep every single one uh, in the saddle, Lord, in the middle of, of your will. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.